1 Corinthians chapter 2 in a series called Open Heaven. Paul said, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Now, can I just be very honest with you? The temptation of every preacher in America is to stand up with articulate, plausible words that people say, wow. And Paul said, I decided not to do that. But in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want to talk about how to unlock divine power. Paul said that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How do we unlock divine power in our families? How, how does Orphan Outreach unlock divine power in their ministry? How do you unlock divine power in, in that which you do? Let's pray. God help in Jesus' name. Amen. Give someone a high five. Have a seat. I was driving in another city and I had forgotten my iPhone cord. And I don't know if you've ever done that, and you've bought so many of these, you just refuse to buy another cord because you've already blown more money than, I mean, the number of orphans that could eat for the number of cords that I bought is tragic. And so I, did, I refused to buy another charging cord thinking I'm going to be fine. The problem is I am not directionally advanced. And even if your phone does nothing else, your phone has an app, which is called Maps, that is worth everything. I mean, just to anywhere you go, you've got this Maps app. And the problem was, on the way to where I was trying to go, my map had, my phone had died. And I figured, you know what, I can get there because I was in Dallas, and what is the name of the barbecue place? Is it Terry Black's? Anyone ever, is that what it is? It's incredible, right? They've got these beef ribs. I'm, anyway, my mouth is watering. I'm thinking, of the, I'm thinking of all this stuff, and I'm thinking I know how to get there. And my phone has died. And the short version of the story was that I did not get where I was trying to get. Not because I did not have the technology, but because my technology had lost its charge. When the power is not there, no matter how much potential your life has, the potential is going to be untapped. You're not going to get to the places that you wanted to get to because all the technology in the world, all of the identity in the world, we started this series talking about our identity that no longer are we called sinners. We are now called saints. That when you belong to Jesus, that Paul begins this letter to a Corinthian church that is a mess. They're a zoo. This, this church is somewhat nuts. They're like a spiritual cereal box. They're fruits and flakes and nuts and and they gather together every week, and Paul writes a letter, and he doesn't begin with a rebuke. He begins with a reminder of, of who they are in Christ, which was saints. 
children of God. But even though you are a child of God, and even though God lives inside of you, and even though you've been loaded with potential, and even though there is so much that can happen in your life, when the power is not there, the potential is not realized. And so we come where Paul says, I want your faith to not rest in the wisdom of men, which is interesting that that's where some people's faith rests, but in the power of God. I do not want your faith to rest in the wisdom of a TED Talk and in the wisdom of a TikTok clip, in the wisdom of any human being. I want your faith to rest, interestingly, in the power of God. Now, the context, as we read this, it says, he, he says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, what does he mean when I came to you? Well, what he means is he's talking about Acts chapter 18, like the context of 1 Corinthians is Acts 18, because in Acts 18, Paul came to the church at Corinth. He really founds this church. He establishes this church. And when you're reading Acts chapter 18, it's, it's really interesting because although this church is a mess, it's a very fruitful church. There's been a lot of activity, a lot of activity. A lot of people have come to Jesus. And even out here 2,000 years later, we're reading a letter. There's two letters that we have in Scripture to the church at Corinth. This is a church that has bared fruit over the course of 2,000 years. He plants a very fruitful church. What's interesting in the question on the floor is, why would Paul go to Corinth in Acts 18 and decide that when he came, he was not going to come with lofty speech or wisdom? Well, this is a little bit of conjecture, honestly, but you could just back up one chapter because before Acts 18 would be Acts 17. And Acts 17, before he goes, and you can give me a map up here, before he goes, give me that map of Greece, ancient Greece here you got. Before he goes to Corinth, he had first been in Athens. Acts 17, he goes up to what we call Mars Hill and he does this ministry in Athens. This is so curious because as a preacher, I've even heard, I cannot tell you how many times as a preacher I've been trained with Mars Hill, Acts 17, Athens, as the exemplar of what preachers should do because Paul went to Mars Hill. He got up on Mars Hill and he said, hey, to the, there was a, they had all these signs. He said, oh, you guys are all very religious. And I even saw a sign that said, to the unknown God. And he gets up and he says, well, let me tell you who the unknown God is. And he starts to kind of describe, basically the idea of like, enter into, and there's something to this because Paul would say, you become all things to all men that you might win some. What's curious, though, is of all the places that Paul ever went, Athens, the epicenter of philosophy, and if, if you remember, of course, the sophists, the, the, the philosophers, that, that Sophia, that wisdom was the chief thing, that people had so much confidence in the Sophia, the, the wisdom of humans, and the, and the temptation was for these orators, these professional orators that would come like TED Talkers, just like TED Talks now, that, that I, I heard the other day that like Michelle Obama just at every place she goes, she's a good speaker, she gets a million bucks a pop. That when someone shows up to, to give a speech somewhere, they're going to get like, you know, ten, how much do you charge? Well, that's what the ancient sophists would do in the culture of, of philosophy, philo, the love of Sophia, the love of wisdom, that they would come and, and do their thing. And he goes to Athens, and it seems like he sort of tries to engage and say, well, let me go do philosophy, because Paul was a mind. Paul was an intellect. Paul was a brain. I mean, you could argue that this is one of the greatest minds the world has ever known, the apostle Paul was. And yet what we find and what we discover is that the fruit from Athens seemed to be pretty close to non-existent as far as we can tell. 
that Paul gets up, and again, he, I, I, we can't know this for sure, but he, there, there is no letter to the, there's not a first and second Athenians. There's, there's, there's not a, you know, there, there's not a first and second Grecians. There's, there's first and second Corinthians. So he, he goes to Athens, and at some level, it seems like he might have been trying to kind of get with them on, on, on that level, and nothing happens. By the time he gets to Corinth, he now says in verse 1, you know what, when I came to you guys, I went ahead and made a decision. I'm like, you know what, I've already tried that lofty stuff, and it doesn't produce any fruits, and, 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 and I'm so concerned for us because I watch so many of us Christians trying so hard to compete with the philosophies of the world that we live in. And we can't outcompete their philosophy. And, I, and even Christians will be like, oh, if only we could come up with movies that are just as good as Hollywood. Do you understand that the kingdom of heaven does not depend on special effects? It just doesn't. And yet we are so prone to try to, to go to that. Friends, this is why the kingdom of heaven consistently has come from people that were living in slums, people that were uneducated, people that brought nothing to the table but God. Because when you find out when you've got God, you don't need anything else. Now, if you can get educated, get educated. If you can put together sentences, put sentences together. All I'm trying to tell you is this. The kingdom does not need perfect grammar. And the kingdom does not need anything that one of the orphans from Orphan Outreach in Kenya that may never get past high school, one of those kids that, do you understand that Jesus can use a child from a slum as much as he can use a man from the academia? Do we believe that? Has history not shown that God, we saw this last week, that he has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise? But there's a temptation we Christians have. There's a temptation forever to fit into whatever Mars Hill we belong to, whatever Athens we live in, whatever Corinth we live in whatever Gainesville we live in, whatever Florida we live in, whatever America we live in, whatever Cuba we... There's always a temptation to fit into the culture that you live in and to... Tr Watch, I'm not against speaking the language. If you go to Cuba, by all means, speak Spanish. And sometimes I wish people would just learn to speak the language, but there's a difference between speaking the language of the people and trusting in the philosophy of the people. The irony of this verse to me, when Paul says, when I came to you, I decided I'm just gonna, I'm not coming with lofty wisdom or speech. We're about to say he, he's really banking everything on the power of God. The, the irony of this, of course, is he's writing the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a piece of literature that people argue is one of the greater pieces of literature in history, that if you've ever been to a wedding, people get up and they actually say things like, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I have nothing. If I, in other words, Paul's going to write a letter right now that is going to be astounding in, its, in the quality of literature that it actually is. So the irony is this, and this is what I want you kind of catching. Paul goes to Corinth and he decides, forget all this philosophy, forget all this lofty, forget trying to be amazing. I just want the power of God. What's interesting is when you decide to go with the power of God, he'll actually give you that other stuff back. He writes a letter that we, I mean, how many of you could write a piece of literature that 2,000 years later, it would be at like probably 10,000 weddings this week, and this letter was being quoted by a guy that said, I didn't even try to be eloquent, and yet he was eloquent. I wasn't trying to be articulate, and yes, yet he was articulate. I didn't even try to be poetic, and yes, he was, he was poetic. 
Here's my point. It's, it's, God's not against poetic, and he's not against intellectual, and he's not against you using whatever you bring to the table. He is against when your faith is in anything but his power. Here's the whole sermon in a nutshell. It, it is never going to be enough to pursue human strength. We must unlock divine power. This is, this is the whole sermon. This is what this paragraph of 1 Corinthians is about. It, it is never going to be enough to pursue or engage in human strength. We must unlock divine power. So how do we do it? Well, it's right here in the passage. Verse 2 says, I decided. Everyone say, I decided. Yo decidi. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We already saw last week the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us that are being saved, it's the power of God. The Corinthians had fallen for the philosophy of Athens and Mars Hill and the Greco-Roman world. The Corinthians were falling for this confidence and somehow becoming cool or relevant or whatever that is to their culture. And Paul says, you guys are abandoning the cross. To which the Corinthians would say, well, yeah, the cross was, was the milk. I'm ready to move on to the meat. And what you don't understand is the cross is the milk of the kingdom. The cross is the meat of the kingdom. The cross is the bones of the kingdom. The cross is, is the carbs of the kingdom. The cross is the vitamins. You never move past the cross in the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand this? You don't move past the cross like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm so, I'm so beyond that. He says, number one, there is power in Christ and him crucified. These Corinthians think they're wise, and Paul says, you guys aren't wise, you guys are fools. The Corinthians are, the Corinthians are proud of the fact that they're educated. He's like, you're, you're naturally educated and you're spiritually uneducated. Beware of having emotional intelligence and no spiritual intelligence. Beware, friends. I'm not against you being emotionally intelligent, having a high IQ, EQ, but if you've got a low SQ, it really doesn't matter. There is power in Christ and him crucified. So I was reading something this week, and um, they said this. This is regarding, really, as a, as a response in these last 10 or so years in the Christian church and here's been one of the phrases. You'd see people platformed, and they would say, well, at least he got the gospel right. You see someone that's a known misogynist, and they'd say, well, at least he gets the gospel right. Or you see someone that's a known racist, and you're like, well, at least they get the gospel right. And anyway, here's what they say. At least they get the gospel right, they say. But are we sure? I'm so tired of this excuse within the Christian church. I'm so weary of hearing this supposedly theological excuse to justify the presence of sin, injustice, racism, and sexism within Christian spaces. Does the gospel not provide the power of God for salvation that should not only impact the life to come, but the world in which we now live? Trees are known by their fruit, and a tree that does not produce good fruit in this life is likely to be a rude and tragic awakening in the next. At least they get the gospel right, is what a lot of evangelicals would say. Well, yeah, we're doing nothing in the world, but at least we're kind of preaching Jesus. Can, I, I just want to be super clear here. One of the litmus tests of if you got the gospel right is if the gospel of heaven that you have is actually making an impact on the earth in which you live. Amen. 
One of the ways you know you're getting the gospel, see, the early church, they did preach Christ and him crucified, but the early church was different because they also helped the poor. They lifted the oppressed. Ray Diaz, what did the early church do with orphans that had been dumped on garbage heaps? Can you tell us what they did? They would take care, they would literally go take children off garbage heaps and they would adopt children that they didn't just talk about fatherlessness in a culture. They would go do something about fatherlessness in a culture. There was a, there was a following through. There was, the, the early church was empowering to women. The, the early church was so active in the world. But here is my concern. While the evangelical church of the 21st century has had the name of Jesus on their lips, but sometimes not on their hands, my concern for the progressive church in the United States of America, at least, is that we have moved into a realm of we're going to go do good deeds. We're going to go help orphans. We're going to go do something about sexism, racism, whatever ism you want to talk about. But when you ask someone in whose name do you do it, we shut our mouths or we whisper the name of Jesus. When Paul said, when I come to you, I decided I'm going to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that if you are helping orphans, why do you do that? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why do you hate racism? Because Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why do you hate poverty? Because Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, when I meet people that love, I often meet people that love what Greenhouse is doing in our community, but they want me to shut my mouth when they say, could you come to our event? And would you say a little prayer? And I say, okay, fine. They're like, yeah, but could you just not mention the name of Jesus? To which my response is, I have decided. I have decided. I have decided. I have decided that my life is only worth living if it's done in the name that's above all the names. Because if you feed a hungry man, but you never do something to his soul, what have you done? To, to delay hell, but not to do anything about hell? To delay a life? It's, it's one thing to go to an orphan that does not have a father on the earth and to meet something. But my friends, I do not bring just simply something about fatherlessness on earth. You and I have a father which art in heaven that wants to adopt every orphan in this world. So the answer, watch, so the answer is if your gospel does not include care for orphans, your gospel is hypocrisy. But if you're careful orphans, does not include the name of Jesus Christ and him crucified. I would say your activism is impotent. Now, I can say that today because Ray does the ministry he does in the name of Jesus. This is a disciple of Jesus. I mean, we didn't get to ask the question, but even when we were talking about like fundraising, he's like, hey man, for me, this is discipleship. I'm trying to get people to follow Jesus. That's what he wants to, he wants to follow. Je but this is why, watch, there is not power in the name of Greenhouse. There is not power in the name of the United States of America. There is not power. When a demon is up against you, you cannot say, I come against you in the name of the Supreme Court of the United States. You cannot say, I come against you in the name of the Church of God in Christ. I, cannot, I come against you in the name of the Southern Baptist Convention. I come against you in the name of you? What? Let me just say it clearly. There is power in Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, it's so tempting, and I, I want you to get it. In Paul's day, the temptation was to be a philosophizer, to be a philosopher. Like every Christian was tempted to, to be a philosopher. In our day, the temptation is to be an activist that goes really quiet on the name of Jesus. 
And I'm just telling you, church, we are, we are gonna go help the poor and we are gonna go lift up the oppressed and we are gonna go do something for the vulnerable and we wanna speak out against injustice. But mark my words, every time we do, there is only one name in which we do it and that is the name of Jesus Christ. And him crucified. It's not even just, yeah, I'm a Jesus follower. No, it's the, the offensive cross of Jesus that lets us know that at the bottom of all oppression is a sin problem of separation from God, which has been solved by the cross of Jesus Christ, which is why in a world right now that is rightfully saying, let's deal with systems and structures, not just individual acts, at the system, the systemic problem of all systemic problems is a separation from God himself. So if you deal with systems on earth, but you don't deal with systems, Systems in the heart, you have not dealt with systems fully. Jesus, there is power in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I, I was reading about this. There, there, these atheist churches around the country now. There, there's these atheist. They get together and they sing songs and they don't believe in God, and but they still sing songs. You know, lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. And they even start to lift their hands. Lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. And man, they're just so, whoo, they're like, help me now. I'll help you carry on. They got the whole thing going. And then they get up and someone does a, a homily. Someone gets up and, and they just, they're like, it's, and, and people are saying, it's exactly like the church I used to. I get the same goosebumps as when I used to go to church. I get the same life tips as when I used to go to church. Like good, good life tips on just being a good moral person. We even, we read from the Christian scriptures, the Buddhist scriptures, the Hindu scriptures. We read from all the scriptures that there are. We read from all the, the holy books. We get together because we bring all these things together. But, but here, here's, here's the problem with this. This is why Paul said, I decided to do nothing except for Christ and crucified. Watch, watch. A lot of even Christianity that I have personally witnessed. I might even say a troubling percentage of the preaching that I have heard is nothing better than Christian moralism that tells you, here are the five steps to a good marriage. Here are the seven steps to a successful life. Here are the eight step, the eight keys to financial freedom. Here are the nine keys to winning the battle for your mind. The 10 key, the 10 commandments of leadership success. And people go into church and they get these light. And here, here's the problem with the three life tips and the four that and the five that and the seven that and the 10 that. The problem is there is an inherent message in this that you've got what it takes to complete yourself. If you could go to the Gottman Institute and learn all the communication skills in a marriage, that will solve your marriage problems. And I love, the, I love Gottman. I love the pr principles. My wife and I will read the stuff and, and go amen to all. What I'm trying to tell you is this. There is a scripture in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. Would you put it up here on the screen? It says, you are, Colossians 2, 10. It says, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. This is speaking of Jesus you and I are looking to be completed, and there is a subtle message in Christian ethical, moralistic preaching and teaching that tells you, you've got, you even hear preaching that just, just do it as if you could. Just stop being so lustful as if you could. Just stop being so prideful as if you could. Just go love the poor as if you could. Just stop being a racist. Just stop being a sexist. Just as if you could. Now watch, this is not an excuse. What it's saying is this. The, the message of scripture goes like this. You should love your neighbor as yourself. But you won't. Because you can't. Until you get to him who completes you and puts a power inside of you. 
And now you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. This is why when you give people the ethics of Christianity, but you do not give them the power of Christianity, it's like handing someone an iPhone that has no charge and you are failing to see what it says in Romans 1 when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everybody who believes. But to give us the ethics without giving us the power is malpractice. Church, I've got confidence in this. Jesus Christ and him crucified brings power. See, the danger is this. When you preach the ethics of Christianity, but you do not focus on Christ and him crucified, you are telling people subtly, like it's like a passive message. You've got what it takes. And as long as you, and what most people do is they, they choose, I'm gonna do these, but I'm not gonna do these. I'll be faithful in these areas of moralism, but not these areas, and I've got what it takes. And you start to look down on other people because why, won't, why haven't you stopped being sexist? I have. Why haven't, why haven't you given up this vice? Because I, why didn't you stop drinking? I did. Why didn't you get off drugs? I did. And there's something in you that forgets. It's not the fact that you're so good at keeping the rules. It's so good that he is at being a savior of sinners like you and me. This is not to say we don't preach the ethics. I'm just trying to tell you the ethics only work when there's an infant, when you decide to know, to conocer, like this, the conocer in, in Spanish we'd say to, to know, to, to know. I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I have no faith in TED Talks. I have no faith in Christian moralism. I have no faith in ethical Christian preaching. I have lots of faith in the power of the gospel of Jesus when it comes into a racist, sexist, sinner, luster, Prider, whatever the er is called, I've got a load of faith that when Jesus comes in, he changes you because you look at a cross where the Son of God, where the King of Heaven comes and gives himself as a ransom for us and it melts your heart in a way that nothing else does. You are complete in him. See, this is why every page of Scripture is pointing to Jesus. Every, every page of Scripture. I, think about, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll just, I'll end there in a minute. Number one, there, there's power in Christ and crucified. Number two, there is power in the Holy Spirit. Verse four, he says, In my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Oh, Gordon Fee says, If the gospel of Jesus Christ was the first priority of Paul, his second priority was the experience of the Holy Spirit, the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, the encounter of the Holy Spirit. Notice I did not say the theology of the Holy Spirit. It does not matter if you believe, in, if you believe quote, in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The question is, do you encounter the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you experience the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit? Because Paul said, I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came weak and he said, so that I could bring, I wanted to come. My speech wasn't with plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. Holy Spirit, even in this room right now, there are words that I could say. But there are people here that need to sense the power of the living God in this place. Even online, God, I don't know who it is, but I ask for the power of the Spirit of God 
to flow into someone's bedroom and to raise them up in the name of Jesus. I don't know who has a cyst on their ovary in this room, but God, I call out to you in the name of Jesus that our faith would not just rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, Holy Spirit, nodules that are on someone's thyroid, growths that are in someone's innermost parts. Lord, in the name of Jesus, remove things that only you could do. I call out to the name of Jesus and the cross of Jesus, someone that's just been afflicted with all sorts of soul darkness. They have felt like they've been in a fog. Let the fog lift now in Jesus' name. Someone that's just been so irritable and like, like angry with your spouse, like just irritated. I want you to love your spouse. But I pray that right now you're gonna see that you are part of the bride, the spouse of God, of Christ himself, and that he has loved his church. And I declare to you Christ and him crucified. And I ask God for fresh power. This irritation, it's almost felt like a, like a fog, like a cloud. Let that irritation be lifted in this very service right now in Jesus' name. Now, I don't know who some of that is for. But Paul said, I don't just get up and talk. I want there to be a demonstration. Peace and joy. Some of you that have not had any peace. Let the peace of God through Jesus and him crucified, resurrected, come upon you. See, in verse four, he says, my speech and message, they were not plausible words of wisdom. They were in the demonstration of the spirit and power. A couple weeks ago, one of you just came up to me and said, you need to go find your wife. Tell your wife when she prayed for me, I was healed. Someone else came up and said, hey, I need you to come. I was prayed for up at the altar, not been able to get pregnant for years. I get prayed for and I conceived. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Church, we have inside of us all sorts of maps and all sorts of apps and all sorts of... But when the Bible says that you're a saint, do you understand how many apps there are on that thing called saint? Do you understand how many apps there are on, on this? Do you understand how many abilities that you have from... But if there is no power, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. You can't get an education to release the apps that only God gives. Get educated. Get a fifth PhD. Use your mind. Use your brain. Be logical. Use reason. I'm not opposed to apologetics, but I'm opposed to neglecting Jesus Christ and him crucified and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you ask Paul, Paul, how do you unlock divine power? This is what Paul would say. Jesus and him crucified, number one. And number two, the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, if you're going light on Jesus, it's time to go heavy on Jesus again. Mike, what do I do with that? This week, get the name of Jesus on your lips. Your, your thoughts are, right, are, are just fine. Your, 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 your thoughts are fine. You're going to post something on Instagram. You're going to post something on Twitter, X, whatever you want to do. You could do whatever you want to go. What I'm saying is, are you bringing, have you decided like Paul to know nothing except Christ and him crucified? Whatever crusade you're crusading for, is it 
radically married to Christ and him crucified. Our church has a scholarship fund with Santa Fe and we empower people that have been descendants of slaves to be able to continue their education. And if you heard the stories of this restoration fund of, of young men and women that otherwise would not have been able to be educated, some of them orphans themselves that do not have parents that can bail them out or get them educated and to hear how they heard about a church that wants to help them get their education. And so I got invited to be in one of these meetings where they just wanted me to hear the stories. And if you could see the stories of grown men that are going back to college and they're being empowered and they're getting out and they're finding a way and tears in their eyes, they hear the stories of redemption and restoration. And it was just, they said, hey, we just wanted you're the pastor. We wanted you to hear this. And some of you even give to stuff like this. This is what we feel like when we think about doing justice and not just talking about it. And it got to the end of one of these interviews, and I'm with all these different people, and they, and they just said, so why do you guys, can we just ask, why do you guys do this? And I'm like, wait, am I, I can say anything? Yeah, why are you guys trying to do justice like this? Why are you guys trying to lift people up like this? I'm like, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor and recovery of sight to the blind and, and bring liberty to the captives and, and oppression to be those that are oppressed to be lifted up. Because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we follow Jesus, and the reason is Jesus. And when Jesus goes up on a cross, and he goes up on a cross where he restored us, and Jesus goes up on a cross where he died, and then he rose from the dead, Jesus got up out of the grave. So I'm literally in a meeting that's a secular meeting, and they say, why? And my answer was not, well, because. My answer was, because Jesus Christ, him crucified, and when his spirit is in us, this is what he calls us to do. Church, this week, put the name of Jesus on your lips in front of some people where it seems like, I, I'm, I, here's the point, decide today to talk tomorrow. He was on his way to Corinth from Athens and he made a decision. Are we not yet convinced that our tweets and Instagram posts and Facebook arguments and water cooler persuasive talks without Jesus are fruitless? I am. I'm bringing Jesus. To which you could say, yeah, but you're in a pulpit. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. But you need to do it at Gainesville Health and Fitness Center, and you need to do it at Shands Hospital, and you need to do it at Terwilliger, and you need to do it at Eastside High School, and you need, wherever you're at. Like, I'm, I'm not saying you get up and you're just always, but you are living in a way that when they ask, What's the reason for the hope that's inside of you? What's the reason for the justice that's inside of you? What's the reason for that? You fill in the blank. And your answer is Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was this, but now I'm this. And the answer is the only thing that changed in the middle was him. You know, we're in a culture right now where everyone wants friends. It's like everyone watches the old reruns of Friends, I guess. I don't think I've ever seen one episode, but what's the song? I'll be there for you. Some of you that are older, you watch Cheers, you know, you want to go where everyone knows your name. Like, we're in the culture of, like, we acknowledge everyone. I mean, everyone wants friends. Everyone wants community. And guys, I get that. Everyone's like, man, I, 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 love, I would love to be in spaces where I feel so heard, which is important. And I feel like people see me, and that's important. But I was in microchurch recently, and one of our sisters came into microchurch, and she was just in a spot. And her friends didn't just listen to her. They called upon the name of Jesus for her. 
the power of the Spirit came upon her, and she was just set free. Listen, you do need friends. But church, you need some friends that when your problem is demonic, they know what to do with demonic problems. You need some friends that don't just listen to you. They actually pray in a way that God listens to them. You need some friends. Who are the friends in your microchurches? It's good to let people just share their hearts by all means. But we've got the power of the Holy Spirit that's living. I don't just need friends. I need friends that know how to turn it on. I don't just need friends. I need friends that know how to open up the map quest and be like, bro, you don't know where you're going. We know who does know. We've got power. Let's click on that app and get going with this thing. I am so tired of Christians that are loaded with apps that they never use. I'm so tired of Christians that have iPhones that they've never done anything but dialed calls and they do butt calls half the time. I'm so tired of Christians that fail to realize in this kingdom, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the experience of the Holy Spirit. There is power. Mike, what do I do with that? It means you're a nurse. You're at Chance Hospital and you're sitting there. You don't know what to do. You pray this. God, I ask for the Holy Spirit right now. Give me the, give me the, you can say, well, the Spirit's inside of me. No, I get that. But there's something about when the Spirit of God, who always testifies of Jesus, because you don't know, I don't know how to point to Christ and him crucified. The Holy Spirit does. And Christians, we are doing enough good works without the power of the Holy Spirit. Add the Holy Spirit and watch what God does. Mike, what does that look like? It looks like this. God, I ask for the Holy Spirit. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to this patient. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to pause five seconds. Holy Spirit, show me what to do. You might get nothing. You might do nothing but pray over them in the name of Jesus. You might do nothing but whisper under your breath. You might have a moment where you're like one of the doctors I was with that was about to do a surgery. And he wanted me to come and see this. And he asked the patient, would you mind if I prayed for you in the name of Jesus? They said, doctor, I'm about to have open heart surgery. Do whatever you want to do. I think there was something supremely wonderful about a Christian that wants to pray in the name of Jesus. And if the answer is no, the answer is no, but I'm going to give him a chance. When you go to lunch today, you can ask the server if you could pray for them in the name of Jesus, as long as you tip. If you don't tip, pray in some other name. He says, so that, and this is where it just ends, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Church, I announce to you today, Jesus Christ went up on a cross, physically born, dies on a cross, gets buried, he rises from the dead because there's nothing he cannot do. And I think about in scripture in the book of Acts, there were seven sons of Sceva, and there was someone that was demon-possessed, and, and the seven sons of Sceva tried to cast the demons out, and the demons tore them apart, and they ran away naked. And they said, you know what? We know Paul, and we know Jesus, because they, this is what they did. They said, I, I come, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come out. And he's like, we know Paul, and we know Jesus. We have no idea who you are. I dream of us being a church that could go into any setting and it's not because we're philosophically superior or that we're more 
ethical or moral than other people, but we know whom we have believed, and his name is Jesus, and with all of our heart, our confidence is in him alone, in the cross alone, in the resurrection alone, and we have moved to that place where he said to pray for the Spirit, and we ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us, and when there's some issue that pops up, and, and some kid is in your classroom manifesting in some crazy way, and I know you can't do like exorcisms in a class, but you can do things like walk into a classroom that you're teaching and say, before a child even shows up, in the name of Jesus, I forbid the powers of hell to do anything wicked to a child in this room. I proclaim the kingdom of God in this place in Jesus' name. How many of you want your kid going to a class that that happened first? How many of you want to go get surgery with a doctor that spent the night praying in the spirit before he gets up and takes out that scalpel? Would you like something like that? There was one of the guys in South Florida, one of our staff members in South Florida was at a sub shop last week, and in the sub shop, they had gotten the order wrong, at, I think at Jimmy John's, and, and the woman became irate, and she just was screaming at the employee that did this, and, and tore them up one side and down the other, and just tore them up, and shamed them in front of this room full of people, you know, this restaurant full of people, and, and the, the, the person's like, I'm so sorry, they apologized profusely, you can have the sandwich for free, I want to speak to your man, the manager comes out, and when the manager comes, and, and, and says, listen, we are so sorry, and the manager was, they just said, just so gentle, just so kind, just so lowly, just so loving. They said, here, we've got like, here's, here's three free coupons for sandwiches. They said, ah, I don't want your coupons. And, and anyway, they, th so this kind of thing goes out. By the time it was all done, this person chews the manager out as well, upside down the other. When the person leaves, the entire restaurant started cheering for the manager who just treated this person with such kindness. To which our person asks them, what, how are you able to respond like that? Guess what the answer was? It's Jesus Christ and him crucified because if he would die for me and love me, then he's given me his spirit and the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. I know we can tell people, hey, y'all, be nice to mean people. You should, but you won't until you look to the one who was nice to all the mean people up on a cross and died for us. And when you see it, it changes you. It downloads apps onto your hard drive and gives you a power to turn it on. I end with this. I, I, I want to boast in one thing today, and that's Jesus and the cross. The only thing... The, I, our church has problems. Our country has problems. My family has problems. My Jesus has everything. My wife last week went to a conference, just like this Jesus kind of conference, and she took my second youngest daughter with her. She took out, missed school for a couple days, and she had to be one of the younger people, youngest people there. And I was like, I don't know how she's going to handle this. You know, here's my middle school daughter that's in in this conference where there's like real, you know, 60-minute sermons and all this kind of, all day long, like a marathon of, <laughs> of Christianity, right? She comes back, and she had all these notes that she had taken or whatever, and I'm like, how'd you like? She's like, it was good. And I'm like, tell me one Bible verse that, that stood out to you. She's like, oh, Revelation 5. I'm like, what? She said, the lion and the lamb. I'm like, lion and the lamb, like, okay. She's like, no, dad. Remember it says, Revelation chapter five, I think it's around verse five or six, something like that. It says all these elders were gathered together and the elders, they, like who's gonna be able to open the scroll? Who's got what it takes to, who's got the power that we need in this world? And the answer was, 
the elder Saul, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. Can we get an amen to that, by the way, that there is a lion that has conquered. And it says that the, the elders, they saw this lion. But then it says, John, who's writing it, but I saw a lamb. And even when she said, I was like, oh man. She said, it's the same Jesus. The elders saw a lion and John saw a lamb. Some of you today need a lion to roar on your behalf. And his name is Jesus. And some of you need a lamb that sheds his blood and takes away all your sin and shame and guilt. And his name is Jesus. And some of you need a rock and his name is Jesus. And some of you need a bridge to get over, and his name is Jesus. And some of you need a healer because you're infirm. His name is Jesus. And some of you need wisdom. His name is Jesus. And some of you need help. His name is Jesus. And some of you need a leader. His name is Jesus. Some of you need a dad. His name is Jesus. Some of you need someone that gathers the chicks like a mother. His name is Jesus. Some of you need what you can't even put your finger on. His name is Jesus. Some of you are so lost. He's the good shepherd that's looking for you. His name is Jesus. His instrument was the cross. His grave was not strong enough. His resurrection is. And when you come to him and believe in him, you get a power. There's an unlocking that happens when you realize the power over your classroom is in the name of Jesus. And the power over your body is in the name of Jesus. The power for your marriage is in the name of Jesus. The power for your sexuality is in the name of Jesus. The power for your finances is in the name of Jesus. Him crucified, resurrected, and the power of his spirit. Do you need a warrior? I know a lion. Do you need someone so gentle and safe you can draw near? I know a lamb. And he's the same one, the true one.